0: Welcome
1: to Porter Wright's Antitrust Law Source. Uh, Good morning or almost afternoon, everybody. This is Jay Levine, your host of Antitrust Law Source. and I'm joined for our second in our multi-part series about antitrust and consumer protection laws um, as it relates to COVID with my colleague, Alan Carter. How are you doing, Alan? I'm doing well again, Jay. Uh, So in this episode we sort of wanted to talk about the, the federal and state uh reactions to uh, not so much antitrust but price gouging and hoarding. We've heard a lot about that and and people seem to associate price gouging with the antitrust, but as as we'll explain in a minute, they're they're actually very different in many respects and and, and in some respects are polar opposites of each other and I'll explain that cryptic statement in a moment, but let's go at with DOJ for a minute, Alan, and so in terms of hoarding and price gouging, what has DOJ said and, and what authority do they have with respect to enforcing or dealing with uh, companies that are price gouging or hoarding? Sure. So, you know, as you know,
0: Jay, there's no federal statute uh, akin to a state statute that prevents price gouging or uh, hoarding of medical supplies or pharmaceuticals or anything else for that matter. Um, but the the federal government does have authority under the Defense Production Act to prevent hoarding and price gouging in a sort of roundabout way. And, uh, The president issued an executive order on March 23rd that was designed to allocate authority to the HHS and the secretary and the DOJ to uh, prevent hoarding of medical resources in response to the spread of COVID 19. And I think um, you said secretary.
1: That's Homeland Security,
0: right? Yes, yeah, Homeland Security. Thank you for correcting me on that one. And um, so, you know, the Attorney General also has some uh, authority under the executive order, and Attorney General Barr has assigned lead prosecutors each of the DOJ's, the Department of Justice's, field offices. Uh, I believe there's 94 lead prosecutors in each. Each lead prosecutor in that field office is assigned to investigate hoarding or price gouging uh, as it relates to the executive order that the president issued on March 23rd. And, uh, you know, the DOJ has been active uh, to some degree. There is a a somewhat famous case uh, about a week ago of a, a guy in Brooklyn who was hoarding masks. I think he had eight pallets of masks and was recently arrested um, in the sweep. So the DOJ is paying attention. If you're hoarding or price gouging, um, you know, the DOJ is going to come after you.
1: Okay. I want to actually define those terms a little bit in a moment, but uh, I remember that we, we, when we were talking about the ability to um, request guidance from the um, DOJ and the FTC in our last episode, there was sort of one procedure we forgot to talk about, and since you mentioned the DPA, the Defense Production Act, there is also a means by which that people who are assisting the president in responding to the COVID-19 crisis, um, any voluntary agreement that they come up with, they can actually submit it for approval under the DPA, and it's somewhat cumbersome approval, you, you got to go through, uh, you got to get a government sponsor, it has to be approved by the Attorney General, it has to have oversight, but if you do that and you get it, then you get immunity from liability should someone sue you based on that agreement, and that's whether the agreement is per se or rule of reason, so uh, that's just something people should Be aware of it's not so easy to get, but if you do get it and you think that, you know, you meet it, that is something one should think about, right?
0: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, a couple things that for people to be aware of when you when the competitors are discussing the agreement or implementing the agreement, there has to be a a government involved in the conversations each time and the meetings between the competitors, whether they're telephonically or whatnot, are um, publicly available. But there are exceptions to that if you know there are competitive uh, secrets that are being discussed, uh, trade secrets, or those sorts of things can be kept confidential. If you have a patent or a trade secret that you want to share with a competitor for whatever reason to respond to a COVID-19 related crisis, this process can still protect that intellectual property. It's, it could be a useful tool or the appropriate um, the appropriate company to take advantage of these approved
1: agreements right once you get it it's a pretty broad immunity um, so it, it's something to think about it's not so easy to get necessarily but if received then there there is as I said a, a wide sweeping um, immunity and the FTC um, although they don't have sort of a similar communication, at least as of this time, to their field offices and the like, the way Alan described about DOJ. Remember they they have what's called their Section 5 authority. Section 5 uh, of the FTC Act provides that unfair or deceptive acts or practices are unlawful and that's a pretty wide authority. So uh, they could investigate hoarding, price gouging, possibly under those. And um there have been, you know, indications that they will do so. Um so the FTC also is in the mixed if people are, are price gouging and, and hoarding, but uh to the extent that these are gonna be criminal penalties, that's only DOJ. But I suspect that most of this activity is gonna be in the state realm,
0: right? Right, Alan? That's that's right. with no federal statute and authority uh, for enforcing price gouging and hoarding, only coming under the DPA, uh, most uh, authority for enforcement will come from the states and state statutes. And uh, more than half of the states have uh, price gouging statutes on the books, and a good portion of those that do not have price gouging specific statutes still have, uh, you know, the UDTPA and other unfair business practices acts that would probably cover actions that would be deemed to be price gouging or hoarding in
1: situations like this.
0: Yeah, that, uh, so yeah That's where the enforcement is going to come from.
1: Yeah. And, and, and there have already been, you know, uh, you know, several actions um, initiated by the states, Florida for one and, and others that, have sent out subpoenas and have already initiated actions and investigations. Um, uh, Interestingly, I I heard on a uh, webinar that, you know, the uh, a lot of the big platform companies are, are working cooperatively with uh DOJ and the FTC spe- specifically, um about delisting companies that are price gouging and the like and and so um uh they're they're becoming mini enforcers uh themselves, which is um sort of interesting to hear, but uh I I guess they, they realize that they could be a, a forum for a lot of this kind of activity but you know we keep talking about price gouging and hoarding what exactly is hoarding i mean if you buy two cases of face masks are you going to are you hoarding
0: no you're not, you're not hoarding if you buy two face masks or two cartons of face masks or you know probably 10 gallons of milk or you know 20 dozens of eggs but if you're <laughs> Hoarding on an industrial scale, um, and you're doing it for the purpose of driving up a price or uh, something to that effect. That's what the DOJ is interested in enforcing. Um, during Attorney General Barr's statement on hoarding, he specifically pointed out that if you're if you're buying uh, a lot of masks for personal use, we're not coming after you. We're looking at the industrial hoarders. So if you've got a warehouse that's filled or pallets of N95 masks or something that's uh, necessary for the medical professional in these times, then the DOJ is looking at you, and they're going to send the lead prosecutors
1: after you, according to Attorney General Barr.
0: Right. Um, I mean – I'd like to follow in, up on oh, – go ahead,
1: Good. I was just saying, in, in his memo, he sort of – he says th- the the – You know, hoarding is in excess of his or her reasonable needs and again, it's it's that's a little mushy but um, I think one can understand when we're talking about sort of, you know, your personal use, uh, if you're buying for the next month or so, that's probably not going to do it. But of course, it's in excess of his or her reasonable needs or for the purpose of selling it in excess of prevailing market prices which is sort of what a lot of this industrial uh, grade hoarding um, is all about, but I'm sorry, Alan. Go ahead. What were you saying?
0: Well, I, w- I was g- going to follow up uh, on a, uh, the point that you were making earlier about uh, state enforcement and uh, Amazon, specifically other platform-style companies that have uh, taken the initiative themselves. Um, mm-hmm. That there, there is a case in Florida, Miami-Dade County, where. Amazon has been sued for price gouging on uh, toiletries and that sort of thing. Now, Florida's price gouging statute doesn't provide a private right of action, but creative plaintiffs' attorneys have never been stopped by that. So, you know, they've uh, right. they've went ahead and, and sued Amazon, and Miami-Dade County It's a case to watch to see um, what happens. It, m- it might kind of set the uh, the standard. At least in Florida for how these cases are going to be prosecuted it's been pending since the middle of March in Florida. the caption is Armis versus Amazon Inc so
1: interesting just
0: something else to watch for yeah
1: so so let's let's talk about price gouging so obviously there's there's you know a variety of states of thirty some odd states have price gouging statutes and they they're all a little bit different but can you sort of give us the broad definition of what price gouging is, at least, you know, according to most of these statutes?
0: Sure. So the, there's four basic elements in your typical price gouging statute. The first is, was there an emergency declared? And if there's no, that, that triggers most of the price gouging statutes, not every single one, but most of them. And it's the the situation that really applies here where we are in a state of emergency with COVID-19. The second element is whether there's a covered product at issue. Um, most price gouging statutes, and maybe all of the price gouging statutes uh, relate to fuel. And then the others, you know, probably 20 of the price gouging statutes relate to other goods as well in addition to fuel, but they all do cover fuel. Um, so others, require, others might cover household goods, medical supplies, pharmaceuticals, you really just have to look on a state-by-state basis to see what product is covered. The third element are the price increases. Some states specify a percentage above the immediate prior price that would be price considered, you know, per se, for the lack of the term, price gouging. So some states say 10% over the immediate preceding price uh, would be price gouging. Other Use more general terms such as grossly exceeding or um, grossly in excess of the immediate preceding price. The fourth element is the look back period. And so, some while some states say the immediate per, uh, preceding period, other states say something to be kind of uh, set, that provide a seven day look back period or a 30 day look back period, in which case you would add the, the prices up for the Previous 30 days, divide by 30, and if you have a price increase statute that says 10%, then multiply the number that you come up with by 10% to figure out whether or not the price is in excess of the uh, price gouging statute.
1: These are all basically, for the most part, enforced by the Attorney General of the respective state, right?
0: That's right. There are a few states that have private rights of action texas being the foremost i think um other states such as california and florida they they specify that there is no private right of action under the price gouging statute Um, again that doesn't prevent a creative class action plaintiff's attorney from bringing a case anyway but uh the these are criminal statutes that carry both civil and criminal penalties but no private right of action
1: Okay. And so you've said before a couple of times about enterprising plaintiff's lawyers and sort of if somebody has been or if people suspect that there has been price gouging and the state either hasn't gotten around to it or isn't prosecuting it, what kind of laws do you think folks can invoke in order to to try to you know seek a remedy or try to get some money out of the price gougers?
0: Sure. So, you know, aside from the consumer making a complaint to their state AG's office, I suspect, like the plaintiffs' attorneys in in the Florida case, they'll invoke the common law or the unfair deceptive trade practice that 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 any state might have on its books. Believe it or not, the the Florida complaint actually invoked the Price gouging statute itself, despite the fact that the price gouging statute specifically states that there's no private right of action created. So, plaintiff's attorneys may just invoke the common law, but I suspect that more often than not, there will be um, unfair business practice or the UDTPA.
1: Right. I mean, and a lot of people call those baby FTC acts, which a, a lot of states sure. have, and and sometimes they do, and sometimes they don't provide for private rights of action. But you know, as Alan said, uh, when they do, you know, you can invoke that, or even in common law, um, you know, common law is not so easily because it usually requires some fiduciary duty or, or the like. But nevertheless, you know, um, the law evolves, and we haven't seen a situation like this. Um, you know, ever, uh, possibly. So, uh, who knows how courts will run with this? But it, the interesting thing about price gouging statutes, even though about, I think, 34 states have them, they're commonly or somewhat commonly invoked in a couple of states that are, that are used to having, um, states of emergencies, like Florida during hurricane season, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the eastern right. seaboard sometimes. California yeah. with the forest fires, exactly, so you know so they have a little bit more of a infrastructure and 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 they're used to engaging in it and I think sometimes when you look at the products that's covered, you sort of see why um or what's covered because uh, you know they're sort of they're informed by the natural disasters that tend to occur in those states in other states where natural disasters are not somewhat of a yearly occurrence um this may be very new to them, and, um, and and for that reason, it's not just the statute, but you know the governors are issuing executive orders that are uh, extending or modifying or the statute. So, you know, th- tell us a little bit about that, Alan, because I, I suspect that's going to be you know where a lot of uh, action is going to take place here.
0: Yeah, it, it'll be interesting to see how. Those executive orders are enforced. We've seen executive orders in Ohio, Michigan, Minnesota, um, Delaware, among other states that have supplemented existing state statutes on price gouging. Ohio doesn't have, for instance, a specific price gouging statute, but the governor has invoked the Ohio Baby FTC Act in order to um, create a price gouging guideline, I guess, for for state actors to enforce, I suppose. We'll see what the AG's office does and how that's enforced. Um, but if you're counseling a client on price gouging and price gouging laws in your state or anywhere in the country, really, you need to look not only at the statutes and case law, but look at the existing state executive orders that are in place to see if there's something covering the situation that your client's in. Um, the, it's it's hard to say without looking at these executive orders on a really daily basis what is in those orders because they change frequently. So if you're counseling a client, look at those statutes at the time that you're counseling client. Don't Rely on something that you read a week ago in an order. yes yeah. so those orders are being updated repeatedly.
1: I, I just from you know personal experience. I know we we have a wonderful COVID nineteen resource group here uh, developed within Porter Wright, and both Alan and I are on it. And we're seeing you know emails about you know updates to orders you know almost hourly uh, in the various states. Um, so really, if if you listen to this you know, podcast on April 8, don't necessarily assume that on April 10th that is the state of the law because it really is um moving. And it is, um you know, and a lot of things will depend. You know, the one interesting thing about this pandemic is that it is hitting different regions of the country at different times. And so the level of, you know, concern in the executive orders and what they cover you know really will match what the state is saying you know uh right. you know we've seen California the state of Washington uh you know uh New York Florida you know all of those come out you know pretty pretty strongly because they're all fairly heavily hit areas um well as the middle of the country well Ohio as well but as other parts of the middle of the country that you don't hear Quite as much about because they haven't really gotten there yet, and yet as as the pandemic moves through, you might start seeing them issue new orders or at least updating their orders that's right yeah and
0: and or legislators acting for that matter i w- I would also pay attention as you know any sort of legislative response to the pandemic comes out. I know there's been um talk of including uh price gouging supplemental legislation in um, a few states around the country uh, as as they pass their, their pandemic response legislation. I believe uh, both Massachusetts and Illinois have both attempted to expand their statutes from their petroleum-only price-gouging statutes to include medical supplies and pharmaceuticals. So uh, pay yeah. attention to pending legislation,
1: too. The executive order in in California, um, is applying it to you know uh, food items, consumer goods, medical or emergency supplies, and anything else designated by HHS or you know the Department of Homeland Security. Um, you know, it, it, consumer goods is a pretty pretty broad term um and, Absolutely. In, and it and in, and food items um is as well so you know a, a lot of industries are affected and uh it's just something you really need to uh take into account uh e- and even if you don't mean to price gouge necessarily you're not you're not trying to take advantage of the situation you know what i said at the top that price gou you know price gouging and antitrust are really very different things uh, you know if you think about it From an antitrust perspective, we always want the price to be the market-clearing price where demand and supply meet, and if there is an increase in demand for whatever reason, as long as you're not manipulating the market or the like, price is going to go up, and we expect you to sell at that, and yet over here for – it's not really issues about supply, it's just our demand, people's demand. They're they're scared they want to go out less and so what they're doing is buying more, creating, you know, temporary increases in demand, which is sending a lot of uh household items uh soaring. And yet is that really price gouging in the sense of I'm trying to take advantage of Situation, or is it simply I'm selling at the market clearing price? And you know, a lot of economists would say we want you to sell at the market clearing price, and yet the price gouging statutes are a consumer protection saying we don't want you to increase your price that much. It's sort of a price control type thing, which uh, again, you know, is debatable whether they're good or bad or the situations. Um, but you know, it it could cause an allocation of our resources uh to be done in ways that are maybe the le- less efficient than they otherwise could be. But at the same time obviously we need to care for people who can't necessarily afford um household goods being increased, you know, hundreds and hundreds of percent. But it, it's it is interesting that price gouging is really sort of the antithesis of kind of the foundation of the antitrust laws. Nevertheless, um uh, they are in effect and I think everybody needs to um and sort of pay attention to them, because whether or not somebody contacts you now, that doesn't mean that down the road you won't be contacted because of your uh, conduct now. The the one thing I, I think people need to also take into account is in price gouging, you also need to know your costs, right, Alan?
0: Right. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Uh, that's one area that is particularly um, fraught for the companies right now, the, the instinct might be to say, "Well, I my costs have went up um, in, through my supply chain, so I I should be able to increase the cost of the goods I sell at the same the same rate." Well, that might be true in some states. That it's it's absolutely true that passing along increased costs is a defense to price gouging in some states. But it's not a defense in every state and you got to look at the state that you're dealing in to determine whether or not that's actually a defense and if you're if you're simply passing along costs in a few of these states that as well can be price gouging and and so the price gouging statute applies throughout the supply chain even if you're the last in the line seller so it could be a legitimate way to increase your co- your prices because your costs have increased, but it, it might also lead to you being guilty of price gouging um, and incurring civil and criminal penalties for that conduct. So it's, it's not like today was just emphasizing. It's not necessarily a question of your mens re or your intent. It's, it's more of a question of applying the four elements. Is it a covered product? Um, did you, was there an emergency in place? Did you increase the prices in excess of the statutory amount? And did you do it uh, over a period of time that it increases it excessively as compared to the look back period or the benchmark period? And the, la- the maybe the last point I'll make on that is, uh, it's kind of been inherent in everything we say, but the, the state statutes are all very different and um, as you're advising your clients or uh, looking internally at what to do, you got to look at each state's statute specifically to determine what products are covered and what the look-back period is and what
1: it counts as uh, grossly excessive. You took the words right out of my mouth. And uh, listen, it's, it's changing daily. If you think you are the – victim of price gouging or you think you are engaging in price gouging you know give us a call um you know especially for for companies that sell across the nation this these are tricky times and it's sometimes hard to um have one rule for everything, and it's just a uh, a serious discussion n- needs to take place um in terms of you know sort of how you are uh, pricing your goods and how you wanna ensure that you are not the subject of an investigation or or some sort of um uh, action later on, and you know we we're, we're here to help you, but it really is almost a it is a state by state and almost a day by day determination because these things are fluid and are changing rapidly, so that's pretty much it on uh price gouging and price hoarding um you know uh, give us a call we we remain ready to help, and hopefully this has been somewhat enlightening if not sobering. And uh I do want to reiterate, as Alan said, this isn't a. Um, y- you may not even mean to do to engage in price gouging, but it is possible that you have been. And you know, again, whether this is something worthy of the attention of 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 the attorney general or of, of you know of you know the plaintiffs' bar to sue on is, is an entirely different strategic call than technically whether whether the conduct um meets the statute and uh and if need be the AG's offices always stand ready to engage in a dialogue um to determine you know sort of whether your conduct is is, is really price gouging or not um they're inundated right now so you know but i i think they do appreciate when the public calls them um rather than you know trying to uh, uh, get away with something so to speak Um, so uh, that's it for this episode Um, again we hope everyone is uh, safe and healthy and remain so and um, we're going to have another one another episode but we're going to talk a little bit about kind of the during and post uh, public health crisis environment and, and what you know People can look forward to, so to speak, as well as what they can possibly do to uh, protect themselves. Um, so, uh, this is Jay Levine. You can reach me at uh, the letter J, L E V I N E, at porterwright.com, 202 778 3021. I'm on Twitter and LinkedIn and all sorts of uh, social media. Alan? I can be reached at A Carter, C A R T E R, at porterwright.com.
0: and I can be you can reach me on the telephone at 614-227-4441, and like Jay, i am available on Twitter and LinkedIn.
1: Thank you very much, and uh, we'll talk to you later. Stay tuned. Bye-bye.
0: Porter Wright Morrison-Arthur LLP offers this content for informational purposes only as a service for our clients and friends. This content is not intended as legal advice for any purpose, and you should not consider it as
1: such.